if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, you can just slip your hands up and the ushers will uh, bring one of those around. And this is, a, this is one of those days, I, I mean, you, when, you, when you commit to kind of teaching through a book in the Bible and like we've been doing over um, the course of this time, you come to a text where it's, it's not the most popular of texts. So this is one of those scriptures where um, I'm going to just kind of preface this with, there are an immense amount of landmines in this, in this scripture. Landmines are things that I think a lot of times scholars grab onto over the time and, and try to argue doctrines in and out of. And, and, and some of those, do- those doctrines are all good and it's good to study that stuff. But I think a lot of times we can get so deep into some of that stuff that we, we, we hijack kind of the purpose of what the text is. And so I'm going to try and just work my way through this text. But but again, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those scriptures that we, we really wrestle with because it's, it's the third parable where Jesus has been working through um, these, these, these parables, kind of, of the questions that the chief priests and the religious leaders had of them. And so of him and what he was doing. And the, the question was, remember, if you remember the scene, Jesus has made his way into Jerusalem. He's done the triumphal entry. He, he's cursed the fig tree. And then he's, he comes into the, into the temple. He's overturning tables. And then he's, he's healing all the the, the, the the lame and the, the diseased people and the, the weak ones, and he's doing that all in the temple. And so, so the religious leaders are coming at him with the question of, by what, what authority are you doing all this? Like, what, what authority? Do you hear these kids are calling you the son of David, which is a, a messianic term. It's a term for the Messiah, meaning you're the one that's supposed to save us. But, but, but who gave you this authority? And the, again, the question, the posture of their, their, their question is, is that they only have so much authority that, that Rome has given them. And they have this authority in the Temple Mount and the Temple in Jerusalem. And so they, they have this system that they're working in and that they know that this is, this is where we have authority. So if they say by the, if Jesus says by the temple, they can say, no, no, no we're, we're that authority. But if he says by God, then, then they, can, they can attack him for blasphemy. And so the, their whole goal is to, to entrap Jesus. Now what Jesus does in these parables that he's worked up, again, a parable is, is a story that is not true. It's, it's, it's just meant to be laid alongside something that is truth. So it's, it's saying something is like this. It's, we do it all the time, maybe not in parable form, but we do, we do say something is like something else to try and bring clarity to what's going on. So Jesus does that. It's important because this is one of those, impar- one of those parables I think people try to pull a reality out of it and say that this doesn't make sense or this does make sense and this is why. And again, it's a made-up story, usually exaggerated to make a clearer point. But this is the third parable of the response to the questions that these religious leaders have. And what's unique about this is that that in this parable, Jesus begins it with telling exactly what the parable's about. In the first two, he just kind of attacks them with the idea of the two sons, where there's the one son that says they will go work and, and doesn't do it, and another son that, that doesn't, says he won't work, but then ends up and going and saying, which one does the, the, the will of his father? And then the second parable is the, the parable of the vineyard, and we worked through that last week, where it's this idea of, of working a vineyard, and what does it mean to, to work, and, and what are the roles of every individual, and he is attacking the religious leaders. He's actually, this is like, kind of, Jesus is on the offense right now, because a couple days later, is 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 the end of his, his life and, and the crucifixion. And so he's, he's on the offense going, you guys are missing what the kingdom of God looks like. You're missing it. These are these staunch religious leaders with all their rules and all the things, and they've exhausted all the people around them, and they've held themselves at a higher, sta- or a higher level with a lower standard, actually. And they're, they're, they're exhausting the kingdom of God and all the people around him. 
And so Jesus is coming in and he just kind of, I feel like he just goes one right after the other. He breathes out his last word of that parable and then goes right back into the next. And so he's pushing in to these religious leaders. And that's where this parable picks up. Now, what's hard about this is that we love, we love the idea of inclusiveness, right? We just, it's like, oh, everyone's welcome and it's a party and it's awesome and we love that. That's why we struggle with texts like this because Jesus is very clear that, that not everyone will be welcome and that is a hard truth. And so my, my, my encouragement to you as you listen to this, as you, as you do this, just come at it and let God speak to you with wherever you are, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, or you, you're not sure, you're still questioning about it. Like this is one of those texts that, that it kind of deals with the root of who he is and what he's saying. And it's going to, it's going to be hard for us to listen to. So let's, let's, let's dig into it and we'll try and bring some clarity out of it. Chapter 22, verse one. And again, Jesus spoke. So right after he had, he kind of laid down the vineyard um, parable, he comes in says, okay. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. So he's again, the kingdom of heaven, here's what it can be compared to. You want to know what the kingdom of heaven is? Here's what it can be compared to. A king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they, they would not come. Okay, a little bit of context to make this a little bit more understandable. First off, a wedding feast was common in this day. Weddings were the best celebration that the Jewish people had. Like this was, these were great. Like they were week long. I mean, all the food possible, the wealthier you, you were, the larger you had space, people would stay with you the whole week. And it was just this week-long celebration. King's, king's weddings, royal weddings, would have sometimes lasted up to three weeks. I mean, just three weeks of party. All the food you can eat, all the drinks you want, like just party. It was a huge, huge celebration. This is a very common thing. So everyone hearing this going, okay, king's throwing a party. But, but there's one thing that's really weird about that. He sends out to the invited guests, but they wouldn't come. Now, to all of us that day that, that don't RSVP because people don't know how to RSVP anymore, right? Like, we don't really know what it means to not show up to something we're invited to. It's like, ah, maybe I will, maybe I won't, you know. We view weddings that way today. However, in this day, if you were invited to a wedding, you went. It was, you went. It wasn't a, ah, yeah, I got something better to do. You went. Secondly, if you were invited by the king, you definitely went. There was no question in your mind for about three reasons. One is fear of the king, okay? You don't want to offend the king. That was not really good in this day. And a second was the rights of the king. I mean, you just got invited to a royal wedding, right? I, mean, I don't care if you disagree with him or agree with him. You're like, I'm in. There's going to be a party. This is awesome. I get to sit at the king's table, lots of food, lots of drinks. This is going to be an amazing celebration. So you went. But then the third reason is, is that you wanted to have favor with the king. So anyone that could have favor with the king, you would feel like you could, you could push your own agenda. You could, you could have a say in something maybe. So, so for them to not want to go to a, a wedding feast, you could just sit right now, the, the chief priests and the religious leaders and maybe the disciples and, and whoever is kind of around Jesus in the temple as he's saying this, they'd kind of go, wait, wait they, they didn't go? What? Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to them. We're all like, oh yeah, well, it depends. I mean, was I busy? Did I have some better plans? Like that doesn't make sense to them in this day and age. They're going, whoa, whoa, hold on. Jesus, wait, they're not going to go to a king's feast? And the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven's like this? So this, whoa, 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 wait. 
they're not going to go like that. You got to put yourself in those shoes, okay? Because it's, it's not going to make much sense if you don't think that way for the future. Them not going to a royal feast, a wedding party, was ludicrous, ridiculous. Secondly, Jesus used the word kingdom of heaven. Heaven in this day and age was replaced pretty much for the name of God, Yahweh. They wouldn't say God's name out of fear of misusing it or fear of being blasphemous in some way. So they use the word heaven. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, there's no confusion in any listener. They all go, okay, the kingdom of God, got it. Wait, the kingdom of God, people invited, they're not going. That doesn't make sense. This is going to be an amazing party. Why wouldn't you go? Even if you don't agree with the king, you get all sorts of food. You get to live the high life for for a week, maybe two, maybe three. So it doesn't make sense. So then he goes on in verse four. says, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. Pause real quickly. In this day and age, they didn't have iPhones, okay? Just in case you guys were wondering, okay? So, so you can be like, wedding starts at 4 p.m., set a reminder for that. They didn't really have that, so it was very common practice to have a big party, a big celebration that you would invite people to, but then you would send people out to say, hey, it's ready. It's ready. I know you're invited, but come on, it's ready. This is how they would do it. So this was a very common practice. So that's why he's going out to tell the invited guests that they're invited, that it's time to come. He says, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one, in, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Okay, it's like, whoa, this is a weird turn in this parable. <laughs> what? Like, wait a second, you're going to kill someone for being invited to a party? That makes no sense at all. But I, I, think, I think this is kind of the, the point of this parable, is this section. Because remember, remember the, the context of who he's talking to. He's, he's speaking to the religious, essentially the religious system that's in place right now. And saying, okay, you, you, you people have been God's chosen ones. You've been invited to the party, but you don't, you don't even want to go. You don't, you don't even have a desire to go. In fact, he's saying, it's, it's weird because the king sounds kind of needy and this. It's like, look, I made filet mignon. We've got the lobster ready. I've got all, everything's ready to go. Like, it's going to be so good. Please show up. He's, he's not a needy king. He's, he's, he's basically saying, what are you guys doing? Everything's prepared. I've done all the hard work. It's ready to go. Come on. And these, these people are like, nah, you know, I... I'm a little behind on my farm, so I appreciate the party celebration. I know everyone else is going to be there, but I got work to do. I, I got some, some stuff to do. I got to tend to this. And that's one indifferent person, right? And then there's the people who are like, yeah, okay, well, I, I went off to the, I got some shopping to do. So I, I'm just I'm kind of busy. Again, these are all excuses that we love to use for, for events today, but this is a little bit different. Again, this is an event that no one would, would, would actually not want to go to. But then he goes into the third group and says that they, they, they treated the, sh- the servants with shame and beat them and killed them. I mean, can you, this doesn't make sense, right? Hey, man, you're invited to the guest. That's it. You're going down. Like, how dare you come and tell me I'm invited again? Like, it makes no sense. The parable is ridiculous in that way. But Jesus is saying, look, this is how you've treated the prophets of God. This is how you've treated the servants of God that have gone before you. You have killed them. You have shamed them. You have treated them with indifference. You're unchanged in the way you interact with them. This is, this is how you've treated all of the servants of God to John the Baptist, and you're about to do it to me, which Jesus just said before this parable. You're going you're gonna to kill the son, too. 
And so this is, this is, I believe, the point of this parable. We have the most magnificent, most unimaginable. If I could do a dance or some way to show you how incredible the kingdom of heaven's party is going to be, that's what you get in God's kingdom. That's what's waiting for us. That's what's prepared for us. In fact, Jesus, before he departs in his last, in the last supper, he says, I will not take of this cup before again until the coming kingdom. The feast that he is preparing is one that he has longed for. This is a feast that, that, is, that is, is way bigger than your Thanksgiving meal that you're looking forward to. You're like, man, I cannot wait to get some gravy in, in this belly, right? Like, you're excited about that? It has nothing in comparison to what is coming. Nothing. But they're different. They're unchanged. They don't care. They're even antagonistic and hostile. So Jesus says, you, it doesn't make sense. So he goes on. In verse 7, the king was angry. Now, rightfully so, right? Okay, hey, I just said a little reminder, you know, to come out and do this, and you're killing my servants. So the king was angry, and, and, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and, and burned their cities. Well, okay, that seems drastic, right? Okay, this is, he's mad. He kills those people with troops and burns the city. I believe that when you, when you hear Jesus speak about this stuff, he, he's, he's usually prophesying about 70 A.D., when, when Rome comes in and crushes all of Jerusalem, if you look at some of the letters of Josephus, uh, uh, or first century troop and or military and scholar, he has a pretty graphic depiction of what happens in 70 AD to Jerusalem. They estimate some a million Jews, mothers, women, children, everyone just completely destroyed and burned in that city when Rome comes in in 70 AD. It's, it's a horrific, horrific thing. And so I think this is the idea that, that, look, the temple, and every time he talks about the temple and those things, it's all a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in 70 AD when it actually happens. And so he just says, look, that's what happens. And then, now this is what's unique. And this is, this is where I believe Jesus is saying, now, okay, as, as much of a downer of that text is, right? Okay, this is pretty sad. He goes in verse 8. Then he says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Look, I already invited these people, but they're not worthy to be here. And this isn't like, this isn't like him trying to protect his feelings, you know, like, well, they didn't want to come. Well, they're not worthy coming then. Like, you know, okay, fine. No, they truly aren't worthy of being there. So the, the people that were invited aren't worthy. The children of Abraham, the, the, these, these religious leaders that believe that they're in because they're children of Abraham, they're not worthy. And he does something ridiculous. He says, Go therefore to his servants, to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, evil and good is another way to say that. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the king says, All right, well, they're not going to be here. They're not worthy. Let's go find everyone. Go out in the streets, invite them in. And this is Jesus taking the kingdom as which they all understood and turning it upside down and saying, no, 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 look, I've already told you in Luke chapter three, I already told you that, that God can make descendants of Abraham out of stones if he needed to. I've already told you that just because your birthright says that you're in, that that doesn't mean anything anymore. You guys, have, you guys have, have destroyed and killed the prophets. You've, you've slaughtered them. You have, you have been indifferent to the word of God. You have been indifferent this way. You, are, you know what? You're out. 
You've missed it. You don't have it anymore. In fact, I'm going to go invite the evil and the good into this party. Just, just in case you're wondering, that it isn't like, like I've behaved good and I'm behaving evil. He's just saying, everyone's invited. Everyone. Not by your own merit, just in case you're wondering. If you're like, oh, sweet, I'm good, I'm in. Well, guess what? If you're evil, you're in too. What? Poof, mind blown, right? This makes no sense. Why would he invite all these strangers to celebrate his son's ceremony? Well, because his son isn't some royal son. It's the, it's the, it's the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. And the celebration isn't some wedding feast that's going to last a few weeks. It's eternity. It's the kingdom of God. And what he's saying here is he's saying it's no longer birthright. All are invited. All are called. The gospel is, is sent to everyone. And no one is welcomed by their own merit. They're welcomed by me, by what I do. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So he, he is, there's a story that's happened recently where... <laughs> A wedding was planned, and the husband-to-be decided a week before the wedding that he was out. does happen. Sad. And these parents, it's, it's, it happened in California. It was in the news a while ago. And these parents had like $30,000, which is a lot of money. Not judging, but either way, it's a lot of money on a wedding <laughs> that they're like a week before the wedding, and they didn't know what to do. And so the parents of the bride decided, well, since this is still here, let's just throw a feast for the homeless. And so they decided to, instead of, because instead of, they couldn't get their deposits back, they just held the, they had the ceremony, they had everything, but they just didn't have the ceremony. They just invited all the homeless in, and they fed like 130 homeless families at this, at this thing. And that, now, for us today, it's like, oh, it's a neat story. But picture, just for a second, if you haven't really had much to eat, Right? And you haven't really been, I mean, you get like the scraps or you get the leftovers and the handouts and all of a sudden you're invited into a really nice venue and you're experiencing really great food. Like that in itself is really cool. This, that's like, that's like down here compared to what Jesus is talking about. But he's saying, look, most of those people would have walked into that wedding and gone, oh, okay, I, don't, I feel a little out of place. This is crazy. Everything's so nice, but this is really good food. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is, is it, it doesn't make sense that you're in. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that you're invited in. Let's, let's be honest. All of us, no matter how good we think we are, we know that we're not that great. Right? On our own, left on our own, we, don't, we aren't worthy of God's grace. We, aren't, we didn't earn that. But he gives us this huge party and he invites us into it and says, you're welcome. And then he goes on in verse 11, makes another really weird turn in this parable. Verse 11 says, but when the king came in to look at the guests, so can you, I, picture this, the king walks in, right? He knew who he invited. Bob, he's not here. Joe, he's out. Those guys are unworthy. And he looks at this room full of guests and he sees his halls full of people ready to celebrate his son. And it's like that moment of like, we did it. This is it. This is awesome. And just for a second, he focuses in on one person. He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. The dude did not wear a tie. That's just not good. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out in the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Whoa, what just happened, right? Like, you're like, wait a second. We were just talking about a celebration in this one dude, which 
by the way, scholars love to try and pick this apart. Like, well, now, in this day and age, would they have provided the garments when they showed up, or would they have not? Because it doesn't really make sense. You know, he's inviting people off the road. Like, some guy was traveling along the way. He's like, good thing I brought my wedding garment. I just, you never know. You know, like, no. That's not the point of this. That's where people love to argue about stuff that, that ends up missing the whole point of everything. Similar to kind of social media right now, right? We spend so much time arguing that we miss the very thing that God's trying to do. And he's, he's saying, no, my bet is, if you want to know, that the, the, the king had enough garments to provide, but the garments have nothing to do with the tie. It's not a matter in their day it would have been a way of tying the robe up or lower at different times for holier days or, or to be that way. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, you know what I think this is in reference to? Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61 on the screen says for you, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It has nothing to do with the guy standing out because he wasn't wearing a tie. And everything to do with that. He was there. Yeah, he showed up, but he wasn't celebrating Christ because he wasn't clothed in righteousness or salvation. How do you get clothed in that? That's, that's done through Jesus. That's the point of the celebration. See, he's saying that this person wanted to party. Like the idea of the food. It's like, man, I've really been craving some lobster. Even like the idea of having, being able to say, like, I was invited to the king's wedding. <laughs> but had no desire to actually celebrate the son had no willingness to surrender himself to Jesus as Lord. And so what is the ending? The ending is, is, is outer darkness and gnashing of teeth. It's painful regret. Eternal separation. And this is where we're like, oh, that, ah, I don't like that. It doesn't sound nice or loving. You know what's interesting is, is all are invited. <laughs> you know, the gospel comes out. It's It's out. The, the, these religious leaders had heard over and over and over, and then, oh, by the way, they saw it actually play out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they still denied it. So Jesus is saying, look, you want to celebrate? You're called. You're called. Come on. It takes my spirit doing a work in your heart that changes you to where you're now a child of me. And as a child, the good news is, as a child of God, you're free. A child of God, it's, it's, it's secure in Him and Him alone. Your identity is no longer in what you've done. You're no longer called good or evil. You're just called righteous because you're wearing His cloak. You're clothed by His grace. Party away. Have fun. But don't forget what the party is about. The party isn't about you. The party is about the fact that Jesus Christ has made a way for all to be deemed righteous by Him. And they, they missed it. And here, if we're honest, guys, a lot of us want to focus on, like, maybe who's not going to get invited to the party. And if, we're, if we're really honest, though, I mean, like, maybe we just take that question out. I think a lot of us miss it. I think a lot of us miss it. If you look at, look at our lives right now, and I, this is one of those scriptures that's so scary for a pastor to teach through. Right, because here's why. Because we're all really good fakers. 
We can put on a good front. We can pretend for a very, very long time. You know what's sad is we may even fool all the people around us, but we've never once fooled God. You're going to stand in that room and you're going to stand out like a sore thumbnail. That's obvious you're not clothed. You know what's even interesting is that this is just me, this conjecture, me reading into this. You know, he approaches him, friend, where's your garment? (laughs) I I feel like if the guy had said, yeah, I I thought I could do it without it, but I I realized I can't, I bet God's grace would have covered that too. Yeah, nope, you know what? I didn't really want it, but I realize now that I do. But my fear is, guys, is, is so many of us are missing this. Matthew 7 says, Jesus speaking in 721 through 20, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven right here. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name or do mighty works in your name? Didn't I show up to church? Didn't I give money? Didn't I, didn't I serve that one person that one time and check it off the list? I did all these great things in your name. And then I will declare to them, I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. First John talks about those that were of us but never were really of us and have left. We have scripture after scripture that talk about people that look the part. Demas, the Apostle Paul and Demas, look at the, the guy was like serving with the Apostle Paul. The one that we're all like, man, that dude is awesome. And he departs the Thessalonica and leaves. We don't know the end of the story. I love to believe that maybe Demas comes back. So that was an idiot. But there are so many people that look the part and pretend. And this is my fear is that so many of you are believing that faking it is actually doing something. You're like, it's, it's, I can just go through these motions and just check it off a list. And that, that isn't it. And, and, and here's maybe a good indicator as to whether or not you're faking it. This is one of the things I used in my life this week, and I've been really convicted by this. Do I actually look forward to the celebration? Like, is there anything in me that goes, man, I want that, not this. I'm, I'm tired of this. This is exhausting. And yes, family's good and work's good and school's good and all those things are good, but that's not the point. That's not what we're living for. Our hope isn't in this. Our hope is in the everlasting kingdom that has been worked into place by Jesus Christ. And now we pray, God, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. See, my problem is, is that I don't, I don't live like I want that that much. I was, uh, when I was in sales, I got invited to, as selling a certain things, a rep took a bunch of people over the country and we went to Vegas for a, like, hey, good job, you're selling a lot. And we're at this dinner, and there's like 12 of us at this dinner, and the, the, the rep's like, okay, whatever you guys want to get, just order. And it's this really nice restaurant, and I was super late to get to that. Anyways, but really nice restaurant, and I'm kind of one of the young, dumb kids there, and the guy next to me, he's like, hey, why don't you, you're a wine connoisseur, not to me, the guy sitting next to me, he's like, why don't you order a bottle of wine and, or, for us, or some wine? The guy opens up his wine list, and he's just looking at me, he's like, mm, yeah, okay, that one bitters, and he's talking to the, the guy and hearing all sorts of stuff that I don't think makes sense to me at all. And, and he's like, I'll take this one, and the rep looks, he goes, okay, yeah, we'll take four of those. And I looked at it, and I was like, $500 for a bottle of wine? And I remember in that moment, I didn't say that out loud, fortunately, because I would have <laughs> looked like a real big fool there, right? 
I remember thinking, what does a $500 bottle of wine taste like? I mean, like, that's crazy, right? It's going to be amazing. I don't know. Like, this is going to be crazy. And so they bring the bottle, and he both orders four bottles of wine, and got this nice appetizer, and everything's great. And I open it up, and I look at everyone around me, and they're doing, like, their, like, swishy thing and sniffing. And I'm like, eh, whatever. What do you do here? This is crazy. And taste it and have this moment. Like, what do you think? I'm like, it's great. It's like two buck chuck. What are you talking about? Like, I don't notice a difference of this stuff. Like, this doesn't taste any different than the other bottle of wine I tried that was $4 that you guys overpaid. You got taken, right? I had no idea how good, but these guys spent an hour. Mm, oh, it's amazing. And they were like, they were celebrating, they're smelling and, oh, it just finishes so well. And they're taking another bite of something like, oh, it's even better that way. And I'm just like, you guys are crazy. You guys are crazy. You just got taken. They just slapped a label on it and said, ha, $500, sucker. But see, I, I went into it with the wrong mind. First off, it's a $500 bottle of wine, so it doesn't equate to the kingdom of heaven. I'm not saying that, okay? But I had no appreciation for it. None. It was a waste of $175 is probably my share of what I got, right? I mean, a waste of it, because I was like, oh, okay. Choke it down. But it's because I, I didn't appreciate it. I saw no value in it. And the problem is a lot of us don't see much value in the kingdom of God either. And so we have this ridiculous thing sitting before us. This celebration beyond all celebrations to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. Unwarranted, unmerited. We didn't deserve it. And we get to celebrate with him. We get to feast with him. A feast again that he has been holding out on. Saying, I will not take of this again until our, my kingdom is set I will not drink of this cup. I will not party. And we come to the celebration. Yeah, it tasted okay. I mean, that's kind of neat, maybe. But I really got this cool job I'm working on right now. This girl, she's awesome. And you just start focusing ourselves on here and now. And we have no hope because we see the destruction and the sadness and the darkness of this world. And we're like, what is going on? It's because we have focused here and not on the hope in Christ. We keep focusing on temporal things and saying, man, there's no hope in that. Our hope is that we are clothed in righteousness and salvation from the work of Jesus Christ. That's my hope. That's your hope. Then why don't we live in that hope? It's like we walk in, hands in our pockets, sit down in the chair. All right, God, show me this whole kingdom thing. It's probably pretty cool. They say, no, this is a life-transforming thing. If you were walking along the road, which most of you have been your whole life, you were walking along the road and something hit you like a ton of bricks. And it was an invitation to a feast that didn't make any sense. And you went, oh, Lord, I want in. When you first experienced that gospel, if you can, some of you have to like blow the dust off your brain to remember that time so long ago. But you remember that. When he first showed you his gospel, when he first opened your heart, and you're like, oh, I don't deserve this. And the, the feelings were overwhelmed, but you're like so excited, so enamored with, I cannot believe he loves me that much. His grace is sufficient for this piece of junk. He's taken me and made me his child, a co-heir with Jesus Christ to the kingdom of heaven. I don't deserve that. And in that moment, it was so beautiful. And then we forget that that's not the celebration. Oh, there was a party in heaven for you that day. We know that. It was a big deal. 
but the party where we all get to come together. There's no more sorrow, no more attacks, no more grievance, no more pain, no more brokenness. It's whole and complete. That is the party that we get to be at if we believe in Jesus Christ. That's where our hope should be, guys, not in today's stuff. That's what we should be living for, not in how good our job is or how well we're doing in our career or how many kids we can have or, or what we're going to do with this. That, that's all temporal. In fact, James tells us it's but a vapor. Gone. Here to hang, gone tomorrow. So why? Why now? If I were Satan, which I'm not, just clear that up, okay? <clears throat> but I mean, and I wanted to distract God's people from that celebration, you know what I'd do is I'd get you focused on every single temporal thing I possibly could. I'd say, hey, 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 why don't you guys argue so much on this that everyone looks at this and goes, I want nothing to do with that God. Hey, I got an idea. Let's, let's just treat each other with so much hate and so much anger that people go, whoa, whoa. I was the enemy. I'd be like, hey, keep going, guys. Doing a good job. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You, sh- you deserve a little bit of you time. Go work on your, your degree for a while, then deal with this whole God thing. Yeah, 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 you're doing great. You're doing great in all these, in all these other things. Like you need to focus on getting a job. Or you need to focus on, on bettering your career. Focus on that. Because guess what happens? That stuff will burn and leave you hopeless. Because the only thing that is complete, the only thing that brings hope is this feast that you have been called and invited to. And when you surrender to that work and the Spirit works in you, you are a guest and you're no longer called good or evil. You're called righteous. And you get to eat and you get to celebrate and you get to party. But for a lot of us, that doesn't seem that neat. And that breaks my heart. And it's really as absolutely as ridiculous. I love that Jesus did this in this parable. It makes no sense. Who doesn't go to this feast but it's just as ridiculous for us to, to believe that the kingdom of heaven isn't that valuable. It's just as ridiculous for us to go, you know what, my, my kingdom here in this little earth that I'm doing right now, now that's where I'm going to put my stake. It's going to put everything in that because, oh, man, I'm doing such a good job here. Pat me on the back. We're just as ridiculous at times. The band's going to come up and we're going to finish it when we're worshiping. And I, I, say this, I say this a lot because I, I believe... I, my hope for Demas is that he came back someday. We don't, we don't have it. Like my hope for Demas is that he realized the, the errors of his way, and we didn't get the end of the story, but Demas is like, man, I, I missed it. I was there working with the Apostle Paul, and somehow I missed it. My hope is the same for you. If you've missed it, if you've been just kind of going through the motions, you've been keeping yourself so busy to just try and fill so many voids, and you're just kind of going through the motions, my hope is that you just run right into a brick wall and are caught in the gracious hands of Jesus Christ. Realize that he loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. You can keep running all you want. You're never too far from him. But as we sing, we're going to sing... The, the, the song is, Lord, I need you. Like, I, I hope that you can actually say those words and, and mean them. Like, I don't want you to, to get up here and go, okay, Lord, I need you. Yeah, I need you, dude. This is great, Jesus. need you. What's for dinner? Thanksgiving, cranberries. Like, I mean, like, like I, don't go through the motions. You're, you're not really benefiting anyone 
Some of you right now, you've been going through the motion so long that you're actually afraid of the consequences of letting that out, that you've been faking it. That's, that's a lie from the enemy. Let it out. God's grace is sufficient. That means it is more than enough. Forgive us people like, that call ourselves God followers that don't display that grace at times, right? But stop faking it. And here's, here's the thing. This is what's so crazy to me, is that you've never, ever confused or tricked God into who you are. I don't think that they could see a tie or not. That God looked right at them. You don't have the righteousness of Jesus on you. First John tells us that when we sin, well, first it says if we, don't, if we say we don't sin, we're liars, so there's a sin. But then it says right after that, when we do sin, we have an advocate for us. And guess who it is? It's Jesus Christ saying, no, no, God, that one has my blood. I've covered, I've covered him. I've covered her. Your grace is, is, is going to be lavished on that person because of me, because of what I've done. But if you're faking it, and you might have the people around you fooled, and you might be able to hold it out for many, many years, but if you aren't really surrendered to him as Lord, you haven't given your life to him, you're not going to fool God. And you're going to end up with great, great sadness. And so my prayer is that you guys would not go through the motion. My prayer is that the kingdom of heaven would actually hold a bigger place in our hearts than any other thing that we are doing or a part of. And that it would be infectious. And it would be ridiculous. And that you say, man, I'm just, I'm just holding out. I'm excited. I'm invited to that. And I'm going. I pray, God, would you... Display your grace to us, God. For those that, um, those that maybe feel the, the weight of, of the fakeness, the weight of, of going through the motions, pretending, uh, maybe even for good reasons, they're pretending, God, would you just um, wreak havoc on their hearts? Would you, would, you, would you just do a work on their hearts where they cannot deny you, they cannot run from you, and they cannot pretend anymore? God, would your spirit do an amazingly beautiful work of redeeming them? God, for those of us in the room that, that, even like myself, that get distracted at times of doing good things, and I forget the hope that I have in you, the author and perfecter of my faith. Father, would you instill in us a desire for your kingdom? Lord, would you bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven today, God? Would we put more hope in that, Lord, knowing that, that you are um, in control, you are sovereign, you are good, you are just. And Lord, for those that are here that, that maybe haven't surrendered to you, the ones that keep running from you or keep staying on the sidelines or, or go to the pool with their swimsuit on and everything, but never, ever, ever get in the water, God, I pray that you would just overwhelm them with your spirit right now. Would they, would they know that you have called them, you have invited them, and they are going to be welcomed despite what they've done, despite what they think they are, and that you are going to actually rename them as a chosen child of you. And they will be deemed precious and righteous because they will have the garments not of their own merit, but the garments of Jesus Christ on the cross. We pray all this in his name. Amen.